Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Army talent management policies are built around the assessment and evaluation of how well soldiers acquire and display the talents and abilities associated with their duty assignments. But what about the skills that soldiers can bring from their civilian education and training? Especially for reservists and members of the Army National Guard, the question of how the Army can or should value civilian acquired expertise is a vital question for the future of the force. Our guests today, Lieutenant Colonels Andrew Vidurik and Robert Gerlach, members of the U.S. Army War College Class of 2021, have both researched this question of how the Army can or should understand and appreciate and integrate civilian-acquired expertise into their talent management procedures, and they're here to talk about it today. Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Vidurik has been assigned to multiple decorated assignments in the Oregon Army National Guard, including deployments to Iraq. He is a licensed geologist in the state of Washington and Oregon. Lieutenant Colonel Robert Gerlach, an Army reservist, received a direct commission as a medical service officer in 2002. Prior to his arrival at Carlisle Barracks, he was assigned to the newly formed Army Enterprise Marketing Office in Chicago, Illinois, where he developed strategic marketing programs. Employed by Sears since 1986, he is now a divisional vice president in charge of various marketing programs. Welcome to A Better Peace, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. So, Andy, I want to start with with you here, but uh, but Rob, you can join in. And what in your backgrounds or studies led you to be interested in this topic of civilian acquired expertise? Sure. Thanks, Ron. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm in the Oregon Army National Guard. I am a traditional M-Day soldier, so I have full-time civilian employment outside of my duties as an engineer officer in the Guard. I have 20 years of experience in the National Guard. But I also have 10 years of experience working as a licensed geologist in the state of Oregon and Washington for a consulting firm that provides engineering and environmental related services. And as you could understand, as an officer in the Guard, I'm always looking at ways to better integrate civilian employment and Guard employment to make it more meaningful or um, more accommodating for those personnel so that they can um, potentially get long, longevity in either career. Well, and, and so I want to ask then, I'm going to go to you, Rob, for a second. I want to come back to you, Andy, on this. But so for, for Rob, um, what, when we talk about civilian acquired expertise, right, what are we talking about? Like Andy described his own background, but, um, but when we think about this as a, as a broad category, what kinds of expertise are we thinking about that people would be bringing to their army experiences? Well, first of all, thanks for having us on. And the, I'm fascinated. I am fascinated by the various skills that our Army Reservists and National Guardsmen have outside of the Army. I mean, there, there's just a variety of skills they bring. 
In fact, just uh, before this uh, podcast with you, I was on the phone with an Army career uh, manager, and he was mentioning uh, somebody who had uh, a master's degree in cybersecurity and was working in that in that field, but was uh, an E four in the Army and was th- and was thinking about getting out. Uh, and so those those roles are from the technical side to the business side. In my case, I work in marketing in my civilian uh, capacity, and I had the privilege of working in marketing on the in the on the Army side. But I'm a medical officer, mm-hmm. and so those skills and those roles are are various, and and they are just untapped and unknown. And so um, you know, you just go down the list of of different jobs that the Army uh, has. Some of those are train only. But, but to answer your question, preventive medicine, information technology, uh, different types of repair, uh, there's a lot of transferable skills uh, when you're talking about uh, repair for vehicles or, or different, uh, different things. So, so the, the, it's, it's all over the board, and, mm-hmm. and fortunately, they're in the force right now. Right. Well, for both of you, um, uh, and, and this is for our, our audience is made up of people with a variety of expertise. And so I'm curious about, and they may be curious about the different experiences, say, between the Guard and the Reserves. But um, to what extent are people assigned positions in the Guard or Reserve based on skills they bring from their civilian lives? Or is, or is that just a complete crapshoot when it comes to uh, the unit that you happen to sign up for when you join the Guard or Reserve? So that depends, Ron. And the individual enlisting, they essentially have a choice. Do I want to do a career in the Army where I can transfer my civilian experience into that career, or do I just want to break from what I'm doing every day in my civilian job? And so they might want to try something different. Uh, One example of a program that the Army does have is the ACASP, or the Army Civilian Acquired Skills Program, where you can provide documentation of a training or certification or schooling of a particular trade or skill that is transferable to the Army, and then you can enlist and get a rank of E1 up to E4 based on whatever that experience is. So what we're talking about is beyond that, soldiers that are already in the Guard, is there a way to document the civilian-acquired training and experiences that they've gained while in the guard that could then be a benefit either to them or the guard. And I can right. provide an example if, if you want now, or we can turn it over to, uh, to Rob. Yeah. Let me just jump in on that. So <clears throat> pardon me, essentially you have, you have individuals as Andrew alluded to that join, they may have a particular skill that they uh, are, are applying for in the army because that's what they know or that's where they're comfortable, or it's the opposite of what they do, because as Andrew alluded to, they want that break. But there are a lot of people who join the military uh, and early on take a role that uh, they that's available to them, either because that's what the Army needed or that's what they thought they could do, but they develop some other skill in their civilian life. So they get that master's degree in whatever, or they, they learn some other job, or they get picked up five years after joining the Army for something that we're not aware of. And so, so to make this uh, very simple, as far as our, the premise that Andrew and I have, is that we should have a, a database in place, similar to Indeed.com or CareerBuilder, that would help track what it is that somebody has from a civilian skill perspective. Now, there are some tools out there, uh, Army Career Tracker, but 
The only people that have visibility to Army Career Tracker are people that you designate. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's nothing out there today where you can do a have a printout and say, okay, we have uh, we have a need for skill X. How many people in the force today have skill X that perhaps are in a different role? We don't know. We have no idea. We could go out and ask people, I suppose, and rely on conversations, but we should be relying on technology, which is out there in the civilian world and is readily accessible, readily accessible uh, through these uh, career career sites that I just mentioned, that if we just took some of the systems that we have today and converted them or added to them or adjusted them, we could easily turn that into a career management tool that can help uh, and uh, approach people. That, that example I gave earlier of the career manager who was speaking to someone who was in the IRR thinking about getting out and said, oh, by the way, I've got this master's degree in um, in, in uh, cybersecurity. Wow. You know what? Let's do something with that. And and it's those tools that we're talking about. Well, would there be, and does uh, the idea of there being a board or a place that's that currently current members of the service could go to and see, Hey, it looks like there, there's a need for somebody with this skill, uh, in a different, either in a different part of the guard that I am in, um, or maybe even in a different state. Um, what kind of movement would we be talking about here? Would this be sort of something that would be across the entire enterprise that, uh, somebody could find, uh, you know, have the chance to, if they were moving from one part of the country to another, or if they were, if they wanted to move from one, uh, from one unit to another, could that work or would that get in the way of more traditional army personnel practices? I'm going to go with you, Andy, on this one. Sure. I, I think it could be. And I think the rollout of the new IPSA, the integrated personnel and pay system, it, it wasn't developed by military personnel, uh, general industry. So it's, it's able to be updated, adapted, and it's, it's more modern for what we need. It's a more integrated system that has information. And so to be able to amend that with the type of information we're talking about, civilian training, uh, work experience, degrees, et cetera, I think you could integrate it into that and potentially look at that cross uh, state line integration uh, or or not. Mm -hmm. Either way, it would be a benefit because what we're really trying to capture is that eight to 13 year individual that they have a civilian career and they're right at the point where it's probably taking off, but they also have the most valuable training they've had in their military career that we don't want to lose. And so if there's a way that we can find or alter their career path in the military so that we can accommodate both to retain those individuals, that's what we're after. And whether that's within the same state or across state lines, I think it's a, it's a win-win for, for the military and the individual. I'm going to, I'm going to add to that. So retention, retention is, is, squarely one of the goals of this as as andrew stated and you know and just to get into the mechanics of it a little bit so if if you think about it when somebody takes the asvab uh there are there are indicators of jobs that they should be perhaps uh, thought of for and so you know what what do we do after that so what do we do after the asvab what do we do three years later five years later ten years later Based on again those civilian skills that you've you've acquired or that particular job that you've you've taken on since uh, joining the military, and so that that could go across any lines anywhere, and that that provides a lot of flexibility for individuals who maybe want to do something different as well. And you know, and as, as Andrew stated, 
you know, we've got people that may be looking to get out of the army because they're bored or because they are, uh, you know, they've got career choices to face, but guess what? Uh, it's a, it's a career builder or a resume builder to have that, you know, that's that civilian to military and military civilian, uh, background combined. Well, and that seems to be the question here that I think is really interesting. Oh, please, Andy, go ahead. Yeah. I I was just going to provide one recent example. I was speaking to a recruiter who was speaking with an E6 infantry MOS, and they were coming up on 20 years and we're going to get out of the guard. And so they happen to have a conversation. Hey, what are you going to do when you get out? Oh, well, I'm just finishing up my medical, medical degree. And so the recruiter says, oh, have you thought about being a medical officer in the guard or pursuing a medical career. And so just from that happen to have conversation, we're able to retain a soldier that would have otherwise retired. And you'll see Mm -hmm. a lot of that in the organization and how we fill some of these vacancies that if you just don't happen upon an individual and strike those conversations and learn about these experiences that they have, it it can be lost. And so we're Mm -hmm. trying to make bridge the gap on how do we capture more of that? And it's not to make people extend military careers if they don't want to, but more of making them aware of other opportunities that may be available to them if they well, so and, desire. And, Thank you. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And and because the thing that I've been thinking about both in preparing for this conversation and, and listening to the two of you today is um, an older vision of both civilian and military life is you pick a career and you stay in that career and you maybe even stay in that job or you even stay with the same employer for your whole life. And that is clearly something that is no longer the case or is, is becoming, let's say, becoming decreasingly the case in the civilian world, right? People change jobs. People, people have to retrain. And so the idea that the army should recognize that while people are in the civilian world, retraining, rethinking, redirecting their careers, that this can be a an enhancement of their contribution to the reserve, to the guard. But it's a, it's a better contribution if the army is able to respond to and accommodate their changes. And so I guess this gets to a question of the basic idea of what, up, un- up until now, you know, how has the army respected or not respected the civilian Life or lives or careers of members of the guard, members of the reserve. Um, you know, take the ASFAB at the beginning, and they say that's good. You're going to be assigned to do this. Um, you know, is there, you know, is what you're proposing merely like providing more visibility of opportunities, which is a good thing in itself, or do we even have to rethink within the army the idea of you might have somebody who their civilian life has changed to the point where they have, they are a different type of person or have different type of expertise and the army should adapt to them. I mean, so is, are we just talking about you know, improving technologically or are we trying to think about how the army should even consider um, its reservists and guardsmen? I see Rob, I saw your hand up. Go ahead, man. Yeah. So Ron, I think, I think you've taken it to another level. Mm-hmm. So, so the premise that we're proposing is that, there be a systematic way of knowing that someone has a particular skill that is different than what they do in the army. Mm-hmm. So therefore we can approach them about that skill. Should the army have that need? So kind of cut and dry. Right. I think what you're saying is, uh, so somebody has gone through a few career changes or they are in my case, I've been with the same company for 35 years, but right. for, the, for the person that does change uh, companies, which is, which is, is common as you stated, then say, you know what, uh, you've, you've 
changed uh, in your civilian career many, many times, you may have that same appetite in the army to change career fields or, or what have you, which is, uh, I, I think, where you were going. And if, and if you were, the, you know, the, the, it does uh, lend itself to an interesting question, which is, you know, would people stay in the army if they you know, were able to change into another role they were interested in, even if it's not something that they have in their civilian background? Yeah. So that's an, interesting, that's an interesting question. It's a little different than our premise, but I think it's mm-hmm. an interesting question. Now, the rules today, the rules today basically say, well, once you get past a certain rank, uh, you you really can't change jobs, or if you're under a bonus, it's hard to change a job. But I do absolutely feel like that could be something to be explored. You know, we should be asking people when they leave, why are you leaving? Mm-hmm. What what if we were able to give you a different job? Would mm-hmm. you stay? Uh, what if we were able to? So I think I think that's an interesting uh, question that that could uh, blend into this. Great, thanks, Rob. And Andy, I want to I want to bounce this to you, and I also want to get this uh, in there as well. Is what are the current obstacles to making those kinds of changes? Go ahead, Andy. So to add on to what we were previously talking to early in my career, I don't remember a whole lot of speaking to peers or consideration or hearing from uh, leaders, higher commanders hey, here, there's opportunity for you to change careers. But in the last few years, retention was a, a hot topic in the Oregon Army National Guard. I can speak to that, and I'm sure it was elsewhere. But there was a lot of conversations and asking and offering and seeing how we could accommodate soldiers in, in other careers. So to answer that question, Ron, I, I think we weren't as concerned with that before. That was during Iraq and Afghanistan. Numbers were relatively high, but now that that's stabled off, people are getting out. It's just kind of a a shift in the culture that I've noticed that we we seem to be much more accommodating Mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. Uh, As far as obstacles, what percentage of success rate is this going to have? Are are we going to fill... 0.5% 0.5% of army vacancies in these technical fields that we wouldn't otherwise be able to fill is the reward worth the cost who's going to create the database who's going to manage the database is my civilian employment and experience entry into this database is it required or is it optional and i know we talk about the army is quick to pass down new requirements without <laughs> taking others away is this just another thing where soldiers are going to say, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And then are they, are they going to provide useful or factual information or are they just going to provide the bare minimum right. and leave it at that? So if you could create some sort of incentive, maybe by entering your information in there, the database populates a draft resume for you that you could use. Uh, maybe it if you check a block, hey, send me Army jobs related to these fields, so the Army would then send you job notices similar to Indeed. If we could come up with a benefit, I think, for the soldier's use, mm-hmm. I think they would be more apt to use it. But those are some of the obstacles uh, that I could think of Sure. with implementation. Yeah. Now, that's a really good point, though, that since what you describe are things that are not uncommon on various civilian job boards. And the idea of, I guess, for the army, the question would always be, what would constitute proof of having this uh, skill, 
right? Do you have to have a certificate or a diploma or something like that? It depends on what the role is. I mean, just to go into the story of how I ended up at Army Marketing, I was in Washington, D.C., uh, helping with a an event, if you will. And I was approached by uh, somebody that worked for me that said, hey, listen, I've got a buddy that is going to be at the Dirksen building because there's a mixer with army leadership and the senators. And I, can I get out of some duties tonight? If, if I go, you know, can I go do this? And I said, on one condition, you bring me with you. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, is there going to be free food, free drinks? Yes, there will. Fantastic. So we go in civilian clothes. And next thing I know, I'm standing there with my free drink and my pig in a blanket and whatever other little uh, hors d'oeuvre. And I watch the secretary of the army walk in, chief of staff of the army, a whole bunch of uh, generals, and then some senators. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is a great like party. I mean, I really shouldn't be here. So kind of a Forrest Gump moment. <laughs> and so there I was eating my free food, drinking my, and then they showed a marketing video. And I said, wow. And they, and they, they spoke, this was in December, 2019. And they spoke about technologies that in the civilian world we've been using for years, but the army was now adopting for, you know, how to, how to reach out to certain populations and, and how to use technology to do it. I thought, wow, we're really getting on the ball. So, so I approached the, uh, uh, chief staff of the army and said, uh, hi general. Uh, I just wanted to say, I really like this marketing, uh, concept you've got. And, you know, cause he presented as long as well as the secretary of the army. And he's like, Oh, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a reservist. Oh, okay. Cause I was in a suit. So didn't know I was military. And, uh, what do you do in the reserves? Well, I'm medical. Okay. All right. And, uh, what do you do in civilian? Why well, work in, in marketing? And so here's my feedback. And he's like, you know, that's the problem. We don't know what the reservists do. You know, because, and so, and, and he had mentioned, okay, you should probably, you know, uh, bring this up. So I approached the secretary, uh, Mr. McCarthy, and said, just want to compliment the video. I want to compliment where we're going with marketing. And here, here's what I do. And this is why I appreciate everything I've just heard and saw. He's like, oh, you know what? You see that general over there? He's in charge of marketing. I want you to go and help him out and, and get with him and, and speak to him. Okay. Sure enough, approached him. We had coffee a couple weeks later. And a few weeks after that, I had orders for Army Marketing. So it, it was a privilege. It was a privilege working in that office and bringing some of the business skills into how the Army does uh, does business, if you will. And it was it was a great, rewarding experience. And, it, and I felt like, because as a medical officer, I, I deal in operations. And sure, there's some operational stuff I do in my civilian job. But it, the translation is not as much there. Sure, the leadership skills might be. But it was one of the first times in the Army I felt like I was uh, synthesizing, hmm. synthesizing my civilian and, and, and army careers. And so it was, uh, it was pretty rewarding, uh, five months. And again, that was just before coming here, uh, to the war college. So it was, it was great. Right. And will, uh, will you be going back there after your time at the war college? I, I will not be, I'll, I will be taking a command in the army reserve. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and there was a, there was some consideration, uh, mm -hmm. given, but career path wise, Career pathwise, interestingly, uh, Army reservists um, right now uh, do not qualify for what's called FA fifty eight or Functional Area fifty eight, which is marketing. So that's only active duty at at, at this point in time. Um, now, one could go there on special assignment, kind of like what I did 
what if you will. But uh, if, if I return there, I'd like to do it formally as, as an Army reservist as opposed to an Army reservist with that qualifier uh, mm-hmm. and, and of, of FA-50 as opposed to somebody just on a, on a tour who, who happens to uh, be there. Right. That's fair. Well, then this is the question, right, is the the uh, the significance of civilian acquired expertise to make the change that you did, Rob, right there, the, the, or the, the the shift that you did as a medical officer working in marketing. I mean, I guess the idea is in 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 the active service, right? They obviously a, a soldier does not have an opportunity to pick up a lot of civilian acquired expertise because he doesn't have a civilian job. Or she doesn't have a civilian job. How in what ways would an openness to this kind of uh, movement based on or this kind of 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 recognition of civilian acquired expertise also require the army as an enterprise to rethink the place of the guard and the reserves um in the overall enterprise so so from my perspective yeah, there there should be there should be some pairing up and i think that it does happen where you do have uh, civ- uh you should you do have reservists you do have reservists working side by side with some active duty in some capacities. I know the Futures Command mm-hmm. does this. I'm sure there's other areas that do that uh, as well. But but it should be thought through. I, I don't know all the details of how the Army does it today. But if, if I had to guess, we could probably do a better job of integrating reservists with specific backgrounds with, our, with active duty who are expected to perform that uh, function and, and get that diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. Get that the diversity of thought. Get those other ideas introduced. You, know, you, you you tend to get group think when you've got a group of people in a room doing just kind of the same thing over and over. So I, that blending of skills would I think be very valuable. Mm-hmm. Andy, what do you think about that? This idea of rethinking the the relationship of the guard and reserve to the active service within the overall enterprise. I, I think it's great. It's out of the box. It's not the norm, what we're used to. We tend to be in our active duty silos and our guard silos and you, you don't cross (laughs) and we want more compo one, compo two and three integration into our training and into our deployments. It's good for the force. It's, it's good for everyone. So if this is just another mechanism to provide additional opportunities for integration, even if it's just on an individual basis, I think it's a great opportunity for for the force, for the individual, and for others on the receiving end to learn from these active duty personnel or reserve or guard personnel that may have an experience that they don't otherwise have. And right. it just broadens our perspective. The more we know, the better decisions we can make. For sure. Well, and and as we uh, as we approach the end of this conversation, right, that's a very uh, that's a very optimistic way to to uh, to view it. And I think that seems to be the big message we want to get across here, right? The idea is more understanding of what of what soldiers bring will help us to understand how this how everybody works together. Um, Andy, what are you going to be doing after your time at the Army War College? So I will go back to Oregon. I live in Camas, Washington, and I will resume my civilian career mm-hmm. and proceed with a M-Day job in the Oregon Guard to be determined. Right. Okay. Well, um, 
as as both of you think about, I mean, do you have you gotten much? I mean, hopefully after this podcast, uh, you'll you'll of course be flooded with uh, with uh, approaches from the outside world to talk about your brilliant ideas. But I am, um, are you plan? Do you have any plans to present your uh, your thoughts about this? use of civilian acquired expertise, um, uh, in the service? Do you have, uh, uh, do you, do you imagine becoming, uh, as, as for want of a better word, becoming evangelists for this approach, uh, going forward? Um, how do you expect to, to keep this idea going after you leave? I had the privilege of working with the office of the manpower reserve affairs, uh, the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs for my SRP. Mm-hmm. And so my goal is to bring it up with that office since that would be squarely in their wheelhouse. And so in the, in the course of closing out my SRP with the uh, MNRA, I will be floating the joint article that Andrew and I did uh, mm-hmm. back to them. Great. And and um, and the article is now being circulated. It's going to be, uh, you're, you're, you are trying to get it placed as we speak. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Great. So yeah. if there are any publishers out there that <laughs> would right. like to pick up our article, we are available at this time. Outstanding. Yeah, it's very, very early in the con- conceptual stages, but we do have uh, a draft article that we would like to get out there and get feedback. I, I do know from the conversations I, ha- I have had from peers and recruiters just briefly describing, hey, would a system or a database like this be useful? And the responses have been uh, very positive. Like, heck yeah, that would be that would be awesome. Uh, because as we mentioned, a lot of what we do find out that's vi- valuable information is just we just happen upon it. Right. Well, great. It, it, what, oh, one ahead. more thing I'm going to add, please. Is this is not a bridge too far? Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, and you and you log into your records page or on your uh, ORB or ARB, uh, it states on their occupation. It, and I know I've given it a couple of different times and it's like, you know, it's kind of canned like manager or, you know, whatever, why they ask that. I don't know, but it's not a bridge too far with the systems that Andrew described or the systems that are in place today to just synthesize. When you say I am a, whatever we can easily take a, again, uh, the attributes of a particular role, and then match those, just a matching exercise to the attributes of what we're already trying to dig for when someone takes the ASVAB or whatever jobs there are. So, there, so today, most roles in the Army have attributes assigned to them. Mm-hmm. Now we're just talking about the other half, putting attributes against the civilian jobs and then that matching exercise. So this is absolutely doable. And if and if, uh, and if if there's anybody out there, again, that has any programming skills, uh, we would be looking for your help. But this this is an absolutely doable thing. There isn't anybody that disagrees in concept or principle that should happen. It's just a matter of making it happen. All right. Well, that is uh, that is as as simple and as complicated as, as it can be, right? It's just a matter of making it happen. Well, certainly it's a it's been very good to get uh, to get your insights into this story today. And we hope that this is getting, this will get the ball rolling further. But I want to say thank you to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Vidurik and Lieutenant Colonel Robert Gerlach for joining us today on A Better Peace to talk about your work. Thanks a lot, fellas. Thanks, Ron. 
Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs and send us your suggestions for future programs. Please, if you have not already, subscribe to A Better Peace on the podcatcher of your choice. And after you have subscribed, please rate and review this podcast because that is how other people can find us as well. We're always interested in hearing from you, in broadening our conversations, and broadening our community. And so until next time, from the war room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.